0: How's everybody doing tonight this morning? <laughs> Just want to make sure you, you're with me today okay how's everybody doing this morning good good like uh, Tony said my name is Gino Allison i 'm one of the pastors here and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church see a lot of new faces today. Thank you so much for being here especially if it's your first time Also a special welcome to anybody who's listening to us listening to this message through our website or through our podcast on iTunes. We welcome you also to come and worship with us here uh, on Sunday mornings. Well, about six weeks ago, uh, six or seven weeks ago, we had uh, we hosted a conference here, and that conference was for our local um, Vineyard pastors. We we're in a, an association of churches, for those of you who didn't know, uh, and there are a number of Vineyard churches in the greater Chicagoland area. And we brought in our national director to come and just sort of give us some vision for the movement. And during that time, our national director, Phil Stroup, uh began to talk to us about what he called uh, soul care. Soul care, taking care of your soul. In fact, he's fond of asking pastors, if you strike up com- casual conversation with him, he's fond of asking you, not how large is your church, how have you grown in the last year. He's fond of asking, how is your soul, which I really appreciate about him. And one of the aspects of soul care that he highlighted, particularly one that was very convicting to me, was how we as preachers, we as individuals, followers of Jesus, take care of our bodies. You know, food and overeating, living a sedentary lifestyle seems to be one of those things that Christians tend to give each other a pass on. But I was struck by how important it was to begin to take care of my body and to be a good example to my children, to be a good example of uh, self-control for this congregation as I stand up before you each and every week. So I resolved a few weeks later, I needed to get my, you know, give myself some of my favorites before I kicked into this. But about four weeks ago, I started not a diet. The Lord didn't tell me to go on a diet. He told me to start a new healthy lifestyle, complete with daily uh, exercise and really cracking down on uh, just eating, just reckless snacking and things like that. So that's been going very well over the last um, four or so weeks. My son is very aware of this change. In fact, he asked me regularly, Daddy, when are we going to be done fasting? <laughs> regularly fast in this church and he's used to those periods of fasting he's wondering when this is going to be over and he's lamenting the fact that he doesn't um, get to eat as poorly as he used to but this is just one of the areas of life where the lord just put his finger on and said listen deal with this Uh, deal with this straight on and i have just tried to be very obedient to that i believe this is important for me because i god is just calling me to pursue wholeness in every single aspect of my life, wholeness and healing in every aspect of my life. In other words, leaving no corner of my life untouched by the power and the influence of Jesus, right? But you know what the hardest part about this whole healthy lifestyle of stuff is that I've actually had to change some things. (laughs) You know, I wish I could have just sat in my living room and just willed myself to be healthier and just think healthy thoughts. And think about running and lifting weights and eating. Just think about it. (laughs) Didn't quite work that way. The hardest part of this uh, business is having to actually rearrange some things. Cost me a little bit more money at the grocery store to buy fresh produce and healthy stuff. Put a little more thought into cooking. The reckless snacking, cut that out. Budget time each day to go and work out with my brothers who've been very faithful and and working out with me and keeping me challenged. I had to change some stuff in my life. And the more I consider the stuff that I'm supposed to do, that God is calling me to do, that Jesus demands me to do, the more I realize the fact that Jesus expects us to change. Jesus expects us to change. I'll say that again. He expects us to change. And in order to change in the way that he demands that we change, we have to first come to him. We have to first come to Jesus. But for some people, that whole come to Jesus business, it's very hard. In fact, it's downright complicated. There's a bunch of stuff in the way of you coming to Jesus. The stuff that you've been up to, the sin that's brought about a whole lot of shame, the negative history with the church and church folks. A whole laundry list. If I just passed out sheets of paper and told you to come up with a list of things that complicates the process of you coming to Jesus, submitting yourself to him, we all will have very, very long lists. It's complicated. It's hard. It's difficult to come to Jesus. It's difficult. But yet, if we want to the the experience the change that Jesus expects that he demands from us, we're going to have to come to Jesus. And while coming to church isn't synonymous with coming to Jesus, I just want to say that I'm glad you're here today. It's a very good first step. I don't want you to mistake coming to uh, church as coming to Jesus, but it's a very good first step. And I also just want to say that you are welcome here. I realize that on a Sunday like today or family friends day where people essentially have a reason to come to church. Some of you haven't been to church in years. Some of you haven't been to church in months. I want you to say there's no condemnation. There's no shame today. You are welcome here today in the house of God. And I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I don't care if you've done time, if you've been locked up, if you're on probation. I don't care if you have disabilities. If you've had abortions, if you've been divorced, if you're shacked up, all your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, that means nothing to me as it relates to welcoming you into the house of God. The house of God is home for humanity. It may not feel like home because of what you've been doing, or because of the shame that you bear, or because of the baggage that you carry, but I want you to know and I speak for the Lord God when I say, You are welcome in God's house here today why are you welcome because this is a very good first step to coming to jesus i've titled this message today simply come to jesus you want to change some things in your life you want your entire life to change for the better i know that sounds like a you know a car commercial or something or something that's too good to be true but you want your entire get up to change man listen come to jesus and come to him for real You want to experience your true identity in Christ, which is a son and a daughter of the the king. And we've been talking about identity lately. We've been defining that as what did God have in mind when he created you? What did he have in mind? What did the architect have in mind when he put you on this earth? He had in mind that you're a son uh, or a daughter of his. Right? So if you want to realize that, you have to come to Jesus. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that I think is a fantastic snapshot of what it looks like to come to Jesus, a fantastic snapshot of what it looks like when we approach Jesus, how he receives us, how he pursues us, how he takes us in. And I want to look at that this morning on this wonderful family and friends day. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19? That'll be our text today. If you don't have Bibles, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. We'll also be projecting uh, scriptures on the Excuse me, on the screens in front of you if you don't have a Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're free to take one of those with you as a gift from us to you. Luke chapter 19, we'll start at verse 1. Before I do that, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for these people who have gathered here, Lord, to worship you, to lay their lives down before you, to hear what you would have to say to them today, Father. Lord, I pray that the radical welcome of the kingdom of God would invade their hearts today, Lord, and they would feel the love of the Father this morning. Lord, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, your love, and your light may shine through, Lord. Put power on these words this morning. May people's lives be changed as they encounter your word this morning. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen amen luke chapter 19 i'm going to start at verse 1 go through verse 10 jesus entered jericho and made his way through the town there was a man there named zacchaeus he was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich he tried to get a look at jesus but he was too short to see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for jesus was going to pass that way When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of this notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Verse nine, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I'll read verse 10 again for the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Now this is a, very powerful story here. A wonderful passage. And one of the things I like about this passage is that it has something in it for everybody. It has something in it for everybody. No matter where you are on the spectrum of of, of faith or faithlessness for that matter, there's something in this story for you. There's a character or a person in this short story that you can latch hold to. More importantly, there's some very specific things that we see about ourselves and some very powerful things that we see about Jesus when we look at this 10-verse story. And I just want to pull a few things out. As I walk along today, first, we encounter three main characters as we look at this story. The first is the main character of this story, and that is Zacchaeus, the main character of the story. We also encounter the people, as it's called in the story, the people, which basically means the Jewish crowd that was sort of pressing through to try to connect with Jesus. And then, of course, we see the hero of the story, my favorite character, Jesus Christ, Right. So there's a couple things that we see in this, in this story. I just want to look at these characters and see what they bring to the table as it relates to us figuring out what it means to truly come to Jesus and really what it means to see what Jesus does when we press into him. First, we see the quintessential sinner, and that is our boy Zacchaeus. The quintessential sinner. If you look at who Zacchaeus is and what he's done and how he's perceived by the public, we can see that this guy is a perfect picture of what we would consider a sinner, a scoundrel, right? Verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Now, right away we see tax collector and we see, oh, I see why this guy was a scoundrel. Some of you are being audited as we speak, and your disposition towards tax men are, you know, not favorable, but you have to understand some context here. So this guy was chief tax collector, and not only was he collecting taxes, but he was doing so on behalf of the the, the occupying government, right? He was collecting taxes from the Jewish people on behalf of the oppressive occupying government. He was working for the man, basically, right? So not only was he collecting taxes, but these tax collectors, especially chief tax collectors, could take whatever they wanted in addition to what they were supposed to take, right? So the government didn't care what they, you know, took on top of it as long as they gave the government what they would do. So if I'm supposed to collect $1,000 for David, I can collect $2,000, give 1000 to the man, and keep a 1000 for myself. Now that you can understand how that would make people very angry. Not to mention this is their own fellow countrymen. Working for the man, working for the oppressor, working for the occupying government and taxing people on top of that. These guys were despised. Whenever you hear about tax collectors in scripture, you know, the word despised is not too far away. And think about who you might think about when you, when you think in this particular culture what it means to be despised. Maybe you think about a pedophile. Or maybe you think about somebody who's really hurt, uh, somebody that was helpless or defenseless, depending on, you know, what your, you know, what your worldview is. I mean, think about what it means to be despised. The lowest of the low, right? The most despicable person you can think of, that's this tax collector This is the guy, Zacchaeus, the quintessential sinner. Nobody would think favorably of this guy. The quintessential sinner, the perfect picture of the sinner. What's interesting is that for some reason on this particular day, this perfect picture of a sinner seemed very, very interested in Jesus. Seems very, very interested in what seems to be the direct opposite of what he represented, which was dishonesty, disloyalty, right? Wanting to steal from your own countrymen. All of a sudden, on this particular day, Zacchaeus is very interested in Jesus. Verse 3 said he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short. Go figure. Too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Here this scoundrel is. For some reason, he's interested in Jesus. And we don't know what prompts his curiosity. We don't know what prompts his pursuit of Jesus on this day. Frankly, it doesn't matter. But it could be any number of things. Perhaps it was just curiosity. Perhaps he saw a big crowd and he just wanted to go see what the fuss was about. Perhaps he was feeling some sort of inward conviction about his sinfulness, the rumbling and the grumbling of the crowds as he oppressed them, as he stole from them legally. Perhaps that began to convict him and he started to chase after something that could change his life. Perhaps it was some stirring of faith moving on the inside. Perhaps he heard a sermon or a snippet of a sermon or someone recounting a sermon. He just said, man, I got to see what the fuss is about. I got to see what all this talk about Jesus is. It could be any number of things. Nonetheless, he's interested for some reason in dealing with the guy and seeing the guy and encountering the guy that can change his whole setup for the rest of his life. I've learned as a preacher, I've learned as a follower of Jesus to take special note of those hanging out in trees, (laughs) proverbially speaking. Those people who are interested, they're curious for whatever reason, they're hanging around. Maybe they don't come in, but they're, they're hanging around. They're trying to get a peek. They're trying to get a taste. They're trying to see what the fuss is about. What is this? Why are you folks so happy all the time? Why, you, why do you folks seem to have it so together all the time? I'm curious. I'm always on the lookout. I'm always trying to spot and identify those folks who seem to be hanging out in the tree like Zacchaeus. kids, just trying to see a glimpse of Jesus as he walks past. Because it's in this moment, and Zacchaeus perhaps doesn't know this, but his whole life's about to be turned upside down. His whole life's about to be changed for the better. And what I like most about this story, particularly as I viewed it this time, I've taught in this passage several times, I've studied it many times. And one of the things that stuck out this time that didn't necessarily stick out before is that it seems like it's particularly difficult for Zacchaeus to get a glimpse of Jesus. It doesn't seem particularly easy for him to 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 connect with Jesus. He's short, right? Which is problematic if you're in a crowd. He's unlike. So nobody's trying to do him any favors. Nobody's going to hoist him up on his shoulders or let him through the line. Nobody's going to do that because he's despised. There's a huge crowd. I'm not sure nobody's interested in helping this guy. There seems to be a lot of obstacles in this guy's way for, for connecting with Jesus. And I think that that's in the story for a very specific reason. Because that's true of our own lives, isn't it? It's easy for you to get into some mischief. It's easy for you to make a fool of yourself. It's too easy for you to derail your whole life. One decision can derail your whole life. One bad choice, get into the car with the wrong person. One time, one drink too many can absolutely destroy your life. It's easy to mess up, but it seems incredibly difficult to press toward Jesus, right? Everything and anything, nobody tried to stop you when you were ruining your life. Nobody spoke up. Did they? <laughs> but as soon as you start going to church, all of a sudden everybody got something else for you to do. Everybody got something to say, right? You going to church again? You go to a small group again? You listen to another listen, you didn't have anything to say when I was making a mess of my life. But all of a sudden, when we start to press into Jesus, things get chaotic. Things get difficult. We see these obstacles over and over and over. And I think that that's true of Zacchaeus. It wasn't easy for him to get to Jesus. And this is huge. Stood out to me. There's tons of things keeping us, standing in the way of us connecting with Jesus. Some of us have Baggage. Some of us are, in our hearts, we're just skeptical. We're naturally skeptical. So that's a barrier to connecting with Jesus. Some of us, it's our own sin, right, which is the biggest problem we have. Our own sin and all the tentacles of our sin, the shame, the guilt, all the issues that come with our sin, stand in the way. And the list can go on and on and on, not to mention that there's a real Satan that hates the very thought of you encountering Jesus. He knows that one encounter with Jesus can change your life. One meaningful exposure to the gospel and the love of the Father, make can change your whole setup for the rest of your life. There's a real Satan that wants to destroy you, wants to stop at nothing. He wants to give you all the snacks of life. Whatever it takes, just don't go see Jesus. Just don't press through the crowd and see Jesus, man. Whatever I got to give you, whatever I got to put in your way. This is true to life. It wasn't easy for him But the brother presses through some things. He pushes through the crowd. He puts forth some effort. He stops virtually at nothing to see Jesus. Now, I don't know what his intent was, but he's in for a blessing. He's in for something special. And as he presses through those obstacles, presses through those issues, he encounters something special, what he came to see, and that is Jesus, the perfect Savior. Jesus, the perfect Savior. What a reward for his efforts. What a reward. Verse 5 says, when Jesus came by, so Zacchaeus is in this tree. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Boy, that's significant. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Boy, Zacchaeus hit a payday, didn't he? The master, the Savior, God in the flesh. It's coming to my house, and this is a perfect picture of the Savior we see in this passage. Jesus isn't small potatoes. Jesus is the real deal. I mean, he's got crowds. He's got the paparazzi. He's got, you know, he's got to make moves. This is Jesus, right? He's a big deal. People are pressing through the crowds to see this guy. Jesus is doing his Jesus thing, and he's looking good doing it. And does he zero in, Jesus? Does he zero in on the priest? Is he looking for devout Jews? Is he looking for people who got it together? Is he looking for people who seem to have their life intact? Where does Jesus go? Now, he makes a beeline for the scoundrel hanging out in the tree. He goes right toward the guy who's a wretch. The most despised dude, perhaps for miles. Jesus goes straight to this guy. Now, this should tell us who our targets are. I would. I love. I like. I like church people. I mean, I don't want to lie here. I like church people. Okay, I do. But I didn't move here from Champaign, uproot my family, uproot my life, quit my job, and drag eleven other people. I didn't move here to gather a bunch of church folks. I'm sorry. I hope you're not mad at me now. I came here because there's people that are dying and on their way to hell. I came here because there's folks. Who are here that need to hear? They need to see Jesus in the, in the flesh. They need to hear this gospel. They need somebody to throw their arms around them. They need somebody to love them, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've been up to, no matter what they smell like. That's why I moved here. And you know where I got that from? My man Jesus, right here. He goes right to the scoundrel, right to the wicked, deceitful, traitor, the most despised of them all, not only goes up to this guy, but knows the fellow by name. He knows you by name. And I don't know who I'm talking to here today, but somebody's sitting in here, and there's a lot of shame around you. Don't think that God would want anything to do with you because of your past. There's been words spoken over you and people have misused you and they've convinced you that God doesn't care about you and that you have no worth and value to him. And I'm telling you today that God knows you by name. He knows your coordinates. He made in his likeness and image of much worth and value. He goes up to Zacchaeus and calls this man by his name. You ever been called by your name, by somebody who you were impressed with? Makes you smile, doesn't it? It's interesting. You feel important. You feel known by somebody special. And what must it have been like for Zacchaeus to hear his name ring from the lips of Jesus? That such a despicable guy would receive such unmerited kindness from Jesus. And I think we have the wrong picture of Jesus. I think we got this picture of Jesus as this angry furrowed browed guy who's trying to, you know, really get us for everything we've done bad and lay the smack down on everybody and, you know, make sure that your skirt's long enough and make sure that you're not using any foul language and just just be this disciplinary. we got this picture of God, this picture of Jesus. Now, Jesus means business, don't get me wrong, but that's not the picture of the Savior. That's not the picture that I get of him. The scriptures tell me in Romans chapter 2, the second half of that is that God's kindness leads us to repentance that is unfailing love his unmerited kindness it w- is what's supposed to lead us to repentance in other words we don't come we don't fall down on knees, we don't change all the stuff that's broken about us we don't do business with god because we're scared that he's going to smack us in the mouth we do business with god we come to jesus we embrace him because no matter what we do this guy just won't quit with this love business no matter how i walk away from him No matter how I keep screwing up and making the same mistakes over and over and over. No matter how I consistently worship lesser things, make bad decisions, run away from him, fail to prioritize and make this thing important. No matter how I do this stuff over and over, this God just won't leave me alone. His kindness and his goodness and his mercy just won't stop chasing me and we ask ourselves, who is this guy? Who does this? Who does this? What kind of, I've never experienced that before. Everything else is so conditional. Everything else I got to deserve. Everything else I got to be good. Everything else I got to earn. But it seems to me that what qualifies me for salvation is my scoundrelness. Just made up a word on the spot. What qualifies me is the fact that I'm a deviant and that I'm in need of a Savior. Boy, who does that? That's out of this world, literally. Jesus approaches him, calls him by name, says, come to me. Come down from there, son. Come down here. Come down here, man. I'm going to your house today. We're going to hang out. We're going to do some business together. And Zacchaeus is happy. He's happy, rushes down to meet jesus it's at this point where we encounter the third character or the the second character which is the people (laughs) the people and in case you're confused about who the people are that it's us church folks right religious folks right now here's zacchaeus is a scoundrel he's encountered jesus listen the the sick has is, is in the doctor's office right now right you think the people would be like yes Man, we're about to square away this, you know, bogus tax business. Zacchaeus is meeting with Jesus, right? This is a good thing, right? No. Verse 7. But the people were displeased. Who are they displeased with? Zacchaeus? Absolutely not. They're displeased with Jesus. He has gone to be the guest of notorious sinner. For notorious sinner. They had a problem with this. They had an issue with this. And we're the same way, aren't we? The scoundrel walks into church or they walk into small group. You may not say it. But you know what are they doing here? What is she doing here? What, what are they doing here? What, what, what do they want? You know I see a celebrity and you know on TV or something, and they're going to church or something like that. and I, what, what automatically wells up in me is us, like, Here we go. All right, what are they doing in church, you know? That's an automatic reaction, self-righteous reaction.' There I go, good. I hope something is spoken that will connect with their hearts. And convict them and show them the love of the Father. You'd think that would be my natural reaction. I, I actually get paid to be a good Christian. That's what I, that's what I do for a living, right? You'd think that would be my natural reaction. But my natural reaction oftentimes is the reaction of these people that were displeased with Jesus, that he would fellowship, that he would interact with such a despicable guy. If they had their wits about them, if they were seeing the things the way Jesus see them, they would pick Zacchaeus up and like literally like crowd surfed him to Jesus's feet. Of all the people you need to see Jesus, talk to him first. Talk to this guy first. He's the most despised among us all. Deal with this guy first. The great physician, you're the great physician. Listen, this is the sickest guy out here. The people, they had an issue with it. When I say there's something in this story for, for all of us, no matter where we are today, many of us need to connect with the fact that our hearts aren't right toward the people who are the sickest. Our hearts aren't right to those who need the gospel most. The, our hearts aren't right. We aren't being an ambulance to the sickest patients out there, bringing them to the feet of Jesus. And guess what? If you despise someone, if you think they're lower than the low, listen, you're not going to be a good witness of the gospel to them. They're not going to be eligible receivers of the gospel and of the goodness and the love and the mercy of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is why this is problematic. This is why church folks ought to look at this and say, man, is my heart that way? Is my disposition toward the sick and the despised and the spiritual needy, is my disposition toward them? does it reflect?" How these people reacted toward Jesus as Jesus interacted with Zacchaeus? the same way. But despite all of these distractions, despite these people having a problem, Zacchaeus is happy why? Because Jesus is coming to his house. Jesus is coming to hang out with Zacchaeus. And one of the most beautiful things happens. Zacchaeus believes. He believes. I don't say he prayed the prayer and Jesus, you know, did the thing on him. I'm saying he believed, and that's evident in this passage. Verse 8, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I think the author here skipped a few. He skipped some details where Jesus gave him the third degree. And said, listen, man, you're a cheat. You need to get your life right. See all those people out there that are mad at you because you're working for the man and you're cheating them and you're taking... I mean, where's the third degree? Maybe somebody left something out. Somebody left something out, right? I don't think so. I think when this encounter that Zacchaeus had with Jesus, man, and the Holy Spirit was already working in his heart, already prompting him to press through the crowds, to climb the tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus, I think the work had already been done in his heart. Already been done in this heart. And this is the danger of writing people off. Because you can see what's going on on the outside, but you don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. You don't know what the Lord is working up in his heart. You don't know that he's been churning that thing for years. That each and every day on the train, somebody encounters that person, has been a witness to the gospel. You don't know that all you need to do is indiscriminately broadcast God's love to every, every person you meet. You don't know where they are in the process. It's evident in this process that God's been working on this guy, working on this guy. Yeah, he's still probably taking too much money, still probably working for the man. But God's working on this guy, working on this guy. And in that moment where the encounter is ripe, he meets Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to give him the third degree. He doesn't give him six steps to a better life. Zacchaeus says, listen, what I was doing was wrong, and I'm going to make it right. So all the evidence I need that this guy is serious. All the evidence that I need that Zacchaeus is the real deal and that this business is getting serious. We know that Zacchaeus is on to something here because we see the fruit of faith and the fruit of faith is obedience. And the fruit of obedience is a changed life. It doesn't come in any other color. Well, tell me how much you love Jesus and you won't change anything. Don't tell me how, you know, glowing and, and, and bountiful for your faith is and you're not obedient to what God says. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'll work with you. I'll pray for you I'll, walk you. I'll walk this thing out with you. But don't tell me you're full of faith and you're not obeying God. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that you're being obedient and I don't see any fruit of change in your life. Don't tell me. I'm not interested. I don't like being lied to. But as I say, the fruit of of faith is obedience. Fruit of obedience is change. Zacchaeus says, listen, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I've cheated people in the taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now listen, Scripture always tells us that Zacchaeus has significant wealth. Very rich guy, right? I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, to cut your wealth in half is significant. Can we agree on that? Now, on top of that. Zacchaeus says, listen, I'll pay back four times anybody that I've cheated. Now, he's in the business of cheating people. This could very easily deplete his entire net worth. Not only that, this vow that he makes to the Lord might actually put him in the red, if you consider that. What's my point? That obedience and change, coming to Jesus, is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. Now, I feel the need to say that early and often. Because we've gotten into the thinking that all we have to do is pray a prayer, shake the preacher's hand, go to the, you know, lunch that they're having down at the church, and then we're square. Then throw a few coins in the plate from time to time, and then we're square. Listen, this thing is going to cost you everything you got. Cost you everything you got. And every chance Jesus gets, he's saying, listen, man, I'm, I'm, I'm bidding you come and die. Don't forget that. Oftentimes in the scripture, people are just clamoring. They see the miracles. They see Jesus. He, he's the man. They're like, dude, I want to go with you. Jesus says, wait a second, son. It's going to cost you everything. I'm bidding you to come and die. There's, there's suffering involved in this. There's sacrifice involved in it. You sure you want that? You sure you want that? It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. And when you you know when you're ready? You know when you're ready? When you don't mind paying, what it costs? Well, you don't mind paying what it costs. Jesus came to Rich Young Ruler and said, listen, the Rich Young Ruler said, listen, Jesus, I want to do some ministry with you. Man, I want to, I want to go on the road with you. I want to be your armor bearer, dude. Just, let's go. Jesus says, okay, go sell all your stuff. Guy says, I'll catch you next time. You, I'll catch you when you come back through town again, Lord. In other words, like he, can't, he went away sad. He said, I'm not willing to pay that. Here's Zacchaeus' man. He didn't even check his portfolio before he made this promise. He says, I gotta change some things. I gotta do right now. I know better, so I gotta do better. I know better, so I gotta do better. It's gonna cost you something. And to get specific with that something, it'll cost you everything. Everything. And your willingness to lay everything down shows that you mean business. Now, some of you aren't there yet. Don't get discouraged. Don't stop coming. Don't think that you're disqualified. I just want you to know what it costs. I, don't, I just want you to know what the buy-in is here. It costs you. Everything. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, what it takes to be a follower of Jesus, what it takes to inherit eternal life, what it takes to be saved. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth. That you are saved. And Paul is talking about all this outward stuff, these external things. Confession is an external sign of what has inwardly taken place. The external fruit of what's inwardly taking place is obedience and change. The external fruit of what's taking place on the inside, as we see in the life of Zacchaeus, is obedience and change. And as Zacchaeus engages obedience as he engages change as he rearranges some things in his life we see that salvation comes to Zacchaeus salvation comes Boy, this is a this is a happy ending to this this is a great ending to this verse 9 Jesus responded salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost this and make no mistake friends this is what Jesus is about He ain't about the pancake breakfasts that we like to have and all the cool church stuff that we just got so used to doing. The religious. You want to know what Jesus is about? He gives us his mission statement right here to seek and to save those who are lost. Specifically, those who know they're lost. Jesus says, Matthew five, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because you know, the, the, the kingdom is theirs. Another translation is blessed all the poor in spirit because they're low enough to recognize their need for a savior. Jesus came to seek out those that are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually destitute. That's what he's all about. And not just seek him out to point an angry finger in their face, but to seek and save their souls, rearrange their whole lives and give them the true identity that they were meant to have. This is what Jesus is about. This is what Jesus is about. And as Zacchaeus engages this process, as he leans into what God has for him, we see that salvation comes not only to him, but salvation came to his house. How many of you know God wants to save your house? I want your house, man. What a tragedy for me to enter the kingdom of heaven and my family just be in that snowbank somewhere. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. So that puts extra pressure on me, man, as the leader of my home. I really lean into you guys, man, to get serious about this stuff and stop playing with this because God wants to save your whole house, man. He wants to save your whole house. The implications of your whole house being saved means wholeness and blessing, nothing missing, nothing broken. Who doesn't want that? Salvation to come to your whole house. This is what Jesus gave to Zacchaeus. A wretched, despised sinner who did nothing more than to press into a place, lean into all that God had for him. He came to Jesus. You say, what's the big picture? Worship team, you can come up. The big picture is this. The question I have is this. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you come to Jesus today? It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. There's still room, <laughs> space between us and Jesus, no matter where we are. I don't care if you're the, you know, the most holy saint, the space between you and Jesus. Will you press into Jesus today? Will you press through the obstacles, the skepticism, the cynicism? Will you press through what it might cost you to engage Jesus in a real and meaningful way? Will you press through the bad history that you've had With the church and church people, will you press through the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups, will you press through some things to get to a place where you need to be with Jesus today? Will you do that for the sake of the kingdom? Will you do that for the sake of salvation coming to your house? Because when you do that, like Zacchaeus, you'll find that Jesus is pursuing you. Jesus is searching for you. He's full of love. He's bring full of kindness. And it's that kindness and it's that mercy that we don't deserve that is bringing us to a place of, of, of repentance. It's breaking our will moment by moment, minute by minute. Like Zacchaeus, we put our faith in Christ and we come to him. Will you come to him today? Some of you are here today, man, and you're so far from Jesus. It's not, it's not even funny all sorts of brokenness, all sorts of dysfunction in your life. you tried everything. And Jesus says today, listen, w- w- let's stop the charades. Let's, let's stop the games. Would you come to me today? Would you push past some stuff today? And, and w- would you come to me? Would you lay it down today? Would you surrender your heart to me today? Is today going to be the day that you come to me? that you get serious about this thing, that you stop spinning your wheels and stop going around in circles. Will today be the day? Listen, I don't know who invited you here today, but it was the hand of God that has you sitting here today. Not because I'm so special, but because this message of faith and salvation and hope and life and freedom is is what the doctor ordered for you today. It's what the doctor ordered for you today. And my prayer is that you will respond in faith To what the Lord has stirred in your heart here today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you, Lord, so much for your kindness that leads your people to repentance. I thank you, Lord, for the the God-given identities that you put on the inside of us. And our identities are not what we've been doing or what we do. Our identities, Lord, are who you made us to be from the very start. And there's so many of us here, Lord, that are living beneath that identity. We're living as paupers and you've called us to be princes, Lord. you call us to be sons of yours. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit will rush in today like a mighty flood. Would you just stir up and finish the work that you've already started? Would you grow that seed that's been planted, Lord, into strength and courage to lean in to lean into what you have for their lives, to lean into the things that you're calling them to lay down, to lean in to the plan and the purpose that you have for their lives. Lord, I just pray that even as we worship, Lord, that you would just grow that, grow that, grow that. And I pray that those who've come that are far from you today, Lord, that they wouldn't leave that way, that you would bridge the gap between where they stand and where you are. Do that as we worship today, Lord. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.